Open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, as we are concluding this portion of Colossians 11 through 15. <clears throat> We've been going through in Christ alone. Actually, that's not what this series is called. Uh, um, what we have, what I have entitled it was, uh, there's no additions to Christ. No additions to Christ. We have no additions. There needs to be no additions to Christ. Christ alone is all we have. Christ alone is all we need. And uh, this is exactly what um, Paul is trying to get across to the people in Colossus. He's trying to get that the, the, the fact that uh, there's a lot of other information being held out and a lot of other information that is being, uh, is being spoken of and teachers have come in. And, and uh, once, once Paul has lost his uh, presence there, not his influence, then uh, the pastor there, Epaphras, he comes to Paul while Paul's in prison. He's telling Paul there's a lot of these people that are going around and they're talking about all these uh, various things that sound right. I mean, it sounds, you know, this is the, these are the things that we used to believe in at one time. We used to, we used to make sure that uh, for the Jewish people, you know, if you wanted to be a Jewish, well, you, a, a Jewish person, and uh, you weren't Jewish, and Jesus was Jewish, and Yeshua, he came proclaiming the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God has always been for us Jewish people, but we can bring other people in as long as they follow our traditions. And our traditions have always been, you know, the festivals and the feasts, and of course the customs of circumcision and the law and everything else. So, so it just makes sense that, yes, Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, and they're also adding or continuing with the Jewish tradition. And Paul says, no, no, look, if, if anybody knows anything about the Jewish tradition, it would be me. I, I am probably the, I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees, circumcised on the eighth day. He says, as a law, perfect. I know the law perfectly. And I'm telling you, the law always pointed to the Christ. Now, we didn't know exactly who the Christ was going to be, but we knew that there was a Christ, the Messiah, somebody that was going to come in and fulfill all these laws and requirements. These laws were only pointing toward the Messiah. And Jesus himself, the, the Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph and Mary, fulfilled everything. He was there to fulfill the letter of the law, and he fulfilled it all. He didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. So now all we need is the new covenant. And as Paul is trying to explain this to them in a letter, a lot of it makes sense to them. It did make sense to some of us because, well, we're not understanding who he's talking to. But we went through a, a section, the first, uh, when we started Colossians chapter 2, we went through a portion of what Paul was dealing with, what he was trying to uh, deal with. And I gave you guys a handout as far as who these people were, as far as the questions that he was receiving and the answers that he gave and we talked about that here just a few weeks ago <clears throat> but on the first sunday of this year we said that we wanted to be a faithful church one of the one of the goals and challenges that i'm giving us is to be a, a church that is marked with faithfulness and i said that according to what paul is saying here in colossians we need to be a church of courage a church united in love a church filled with wisdom and knowledge uh, a church that has a soldier's discipline a church that is uh, is able to resist false teaching a church that is able to stand and walk with christ a church that is rooted and built up and a church that is full of gratitude with the attitude of gratitude. And so from that point forward, I said, this is what Paul is dealing with. And he says, these are the things that he says to not do or what we should do. And he says, therefore, he says, the very first thing is, I need you to walk in Christ. He says in verse six, therefore, as you receive Christ, the Lord Jesus, so walk with him. Not only do I want you to walk in Christ, then he says in verse seven, I want you to be rooted and built up in him. We say rooted and booted. You know, that's what, that's what we say it. Be rooted. Uh, I need to be mature in Christ. I need to grow in Christ. Not only do I need to be rooted, but I need to mature and grow and, and develop the fruit. There's various types of fruit. The fruit of the spirit is one fruit that you already have. Everything that the apple tree needs is already in the apple tree. Everything. The only thing that it needs now is for it to mature. And that takes time. It takes nutrients. It takes water, sunlight, photosynthesis. Everything that the plant needs to grow is there and to develop into a, an apple, to develop the tree and to, so it can give apples. And that apple is designed to hold seeds so that it can be planted somewhere else and grow more fruit. You, beloved are God's fruit. There's, there's various types of fruit in the Bible. There's the fruit of praise. There's the fruit of converts. There's the fruit of giving. There's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when you put these all together, this is exactly who we are as believers. 
But one of the biggest things that you are to bear fruit is not only in giving and love and encouragement and uh, in all these other things, but another thing we need to do is also display the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, but also other converts. You have been given God's Word, the seed, the spora that is in you, and it should be planted so that others can grow as well and develop. That is the challenge that Paul has given us. And so we need to be rooted in, and we need to develop. We need to evaluate everything in Christ. We talked about that last week on making sure that whatever it is that we hear and we receive, well, what does the Bible say? How does that equate to what Scripture is saying? Only way we can do that is if we know our word. And I'm, I'm grateful and I'm excited to see how some of you have been challenged to come forward and, and to be a part of these studies that we're having to f- dig deeper into God's word. You're, you're, you're being taught and you're learning yourselves on how to get into the word of God. And if you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. We ha- I have a Bible that I can give you, but I want you to get into your word. It's the desire of the, any pastor's heart. It's the z- desire of God himself that you know his word, that he opens the eyes of your heart so that you can have something solid, some solid ground on which to stand on. You cannot just stand on what the world says because the world is telling you a whole different story. They have a whole different picture. And the world is now infiltrated the church where the church is now looking more like the world than the world looking more like Christ. And so we need to stand on the word. We need to evaluate everything according to Christ. And I, I am everything that I need. We are complete in Christ. In verse 10, 9 and 10, he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. All rule and authority. All rule and authority. We're going to touch on that just a little bit more today. But before I get started, let me uh, go to the Lord in prayer. I'd like to bring some prayer petitions and some concerns that we have this morning. Uh, any any prayer petitions that you may have? Anybody that we can pray for or something that we can pray for? Yes, Sister Jan. Our Sister Jan is in the hospital. Let's keep her in prayer. Uh, she's not been feeling well these last few several weeks because of, um, well, uh, just a lot of, you notice she walks around with a breathing tube or machine and she's had COPD for some time. And when it gets cold or windy, it, it really acts up. So keep her in prayer. She's in the hospital today. Okay, anybody else? Yes, Richard. Okay. Okay, Cleo. Cleo and his family. Anybody else? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Father in heaven, we want to thank you once again for giving us your word. This is what we have. Lord, we cannot be going by popular opinion. We cannot be going by anything else but your word. Songs that are made out of your word and developed out of other people's minds, they sound good. They may, they may even make us feel good. But Father, we need to evaluate those words out of li- those lyrics that come through songs. Evaluate them through your word. We cannot just uh, uh, look at and think that everything is, is b- coming from you just because it makes us feel good. And Father, we, we pray and we thank you that you and we, we praise you, Lord, for giving us this word, your word, your very word that is breathed out. And as we realized this last week in our Bible study class, that Father, this word, though it's been translated in so many different languages, it holds true and so accurate to the original manuscripts that are on hand of many scholars and, and uh, institutions that hold the original manuscripts. And so, Lord, we know that your word has not been altered or or shifted or made up by anybody else, but only by your divine spirit. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for preserving it in such a way that today we can read and we can apply and we can know that you are God. And because all things work together for good, these are things that you hold together. You are sovereign. You are the governor. You are the one that holds everything together. You are the one that said how far the ocean could go, how much oxygen we need, how close we can be to the sun. You are the one that put everything into place. And so we have to trust that you are in control of all things. And so when things do take place in our life, they all work together for your good. And we thank you, Father that all these things that you've brought us through and you keep us in are designed for your benefit and your glory to bring glory to you. So as we learn even more so about how to be a faithful church, how to lift up others in prayer, I pray for Cleo, Lord. I pray for his life, that you transform him inside, that there where he's at, you have him exactly where you want him. 
This is the place where he needs to be to hear your word and, and to be transformed from the inside out. And you have him exactly where, where you want him and what you want him to do with that knowledge and the, uh, the experience of your word and what he's doing with it, Father. I pray for his family that they wait patiently for you to respond in, in a very miraculous way. Lord, only you know what's best for the whole situation. We lift up to you also our sister Jan and, and just the, the many struggles that she's gone through and the things that she, she developed uh, just these last few years, Father, and things that are happening with her and in our life. And even these things, Father, the good and the bad, it all works together for good in some way or another. We, we don't understand it, but it will. I lift up to you our, our sister Joan, and we thank you for her life and her love and for the church and for, for you as well. And, and Father, I just pray your, your peace and your, your protection upon her. And for Terry that uh, has not been with us for some time, we lift her up to you. For Sylvia and her, her husband Danny as they experience this time of uh, aloneness now that, they are, that Ernie is not with them anymore. And I, Father, and for those that are, that are within the sound of my voice and on, online, and, and Lord, we continue to pray for the Carrillo family as they also grieve the loss of their mom and for those that have lost loved ones this last year and even now. Father, we, we submit ourselves to you knowing that everything works together. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful, a faithful church, and not let anything just sway us or keep us going and taking us in a different direction. We stand upon your word and on your word. We thank you. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. Thank you, Miha. She said amen. All right. As I said, you know, as I was saying, these are the things that Paul has put out for us so that we can become a faithful church. How do we become our faithful church? Well, number one, we have to understand that a part of all those things that I just mentioned a little while ago, you know, which are included. Number one, there is no addition to our salvation. Okay? There is no addition to our salvation. In verses 11 through 15, <clears throat> Paul says this. And I'll read and you can follow along. This is where we left off last week. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power, powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, that he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over him, over them in him. Paul is responding to the various types of things that need to take place after a person gets saved and people come in and says, okay, well, now that you're saved, you need to be Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. So the only way you can be Jewish is if you are circumcised. And circumcision was the act of a flesh. And, and Paul says, no, you've already been circumcised in your heart. It's always been a heart issue, not a flesh issue. It wasn't the, the circumcision that was going to save you. It was your obedience to God and your faith in God that saved you. That was just a picture of your salvation, of your, uh, of your uh, chosenness of God. In a sense, Paul even equates it to baptism. He says, you know, like baptism, baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't do anything except for identify you to part of the body of Jesus Christ. But let's go through this just a little bit. As he says, in him you were circumcised. And already the, the people that were there, the, the pagan philosophers, Paul said, don't, don't get carried away. Don't be, don't be taken captive. Don't, don't, don't let this philosophy, it sounds great. And it sounds good, and, and you could almost, you know, make an argument for it by God's word. See, God's word says this, and, and so therefore, and they, they philosophize, and they try to put everything together. Don't, don't get carried away by those things. And also, don't be carried, get carried away by the Jewish legalism. Again, it makes sense because, well, Jesus was Jewish, now you should be Jewish. And, and so these are some of the things that Paul continues to fight against, not only in this city, but in other cities as well that kept, People kept following him. And so, but the, the, the Jewish boy was circumcised on the eighth day after his birth, according to Leviticus. That was part of the law. And uh, it was a sign that he belonged to the covenant nation. It was a sign. It was a signal. Didn't save him. Didn't, uh, didn't give him any extra uh, powers, uh, privileges, maybe because he was now a Jewish person. Now, even in the Old Testament, there were two uh, views as far as what circumcision meant. And, and uh, one was that 
you know, if, if you were circumcised, then you were saved. You were automatically saved. This is, again, going back to what we said a little while ago about the uh, baptism. If you're baptized, then your people believe that you're saved. You can't be saved unless you are baptized. And so some, some held that circumcision alone was enough. Since it granted membership into the covenant of God and you were now under the covenant nation, that was enough, which that view was wrong. Uh, so the, the other view was recognized that circumcision was only an outward demonstration, kind of like we've been talking about baptism. It's an outward demonstration that man was born sinful and needing cleansing, that the cutting away of the male foreskin of the reproductive organs, it was a very graphic way to demonstrate that man needed cleansing at the deepest level of his being. Because in procreation, that was the organ that was used to make human beings. And because the person was a sinner, he created nothing but sinful people. Children are born sinners. We were born sinners. I know that's a topic that a lot of people don't want to touch on. My baby is a sinner. Yes. As I call them little vipers and diapers. I mean, they control everything. They are self-centered. They are, they are mean. They are angry. They get mad because they don't, they don't know any better. Now they're not held accountable because they, they're not at the age of accountability. But at some point in life, we, we train them up and we teach them about God and right and wrong. And, and as I mentioned to you here a while back, you know, my grandson asked me, do you know anybody that deserves to go to hell? And I said, yes, I do. And that opened up his eyes to, okay, well, what do I have to do? How, it's not what you do, Mijo, it's what you know. It's what God has done for you. You know, and I'm going to talk about that right now. It's, it's that he saved you. He, by his grace, has forgiven you. And you have to accept that by faith. You have to just understand that by faith. And he goes, I want to be there. He says, well, good. That's a very good understanding and a very good indication that you're there. And so the biblical view of cutting away of the foreskin is not much part of the human anatomy to demonstrate the depths of sin in as much as that it is the part of man that produces life and this, and this, this ability to bring in sinful people from the very beginning. Adam and Eve, when they sin, that's how they brought in sin. God says, look, to show that you are a covenant people, I want this act to be done in order that you can show to the world that you are separate you are different you are you are holy basically is what he was saying holy as far as what that means to god you're holy and set apart for the christ for the christian the physical writer it's unnecessary it's unnecessary paul said to the people in colossians and corinthians he says look if you came to christ as a slave then remain a slave Okay, and, and, you know, pray that, you know, you are let go. Now, it, slavery back then wasn't like what many of you envisioned it today, as we've been taught and told in the things that have happened here, especially uh, in this part of the world, and in a lot of parts of the world as well. But in the Jewish customs, if you owed a debt, you couldn't pay it, then you would sell yourself to the homeowner or the landowner, and you would say, can I work this off? And he says, well, sure. Bring your family. I'll take care of you. Got them a, a place to live, food to eat. And what they did is everything that they worked for was for the landowner. None of it was for them. And they lived. And a lot of people, they, they like that. Uh, they, they like that arrangement. I like the fact that my family is taken care of. Though I don't have anything, I like the fact that you are taking care of us. And so therefore, I want to remain your slave. Now that my debt has been paid, I want to remain your slave. And they would put an earring on them. And they would put this big old hole in them and says, okay, you're, my, you're, you're mine now. You, and, and I'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about anything else. And so Paul was saying, you know, if you came in as a slave, or if you were even freed, now you stay free. You know, don't go out and be a slave again. You don't have to be. If you're, if you're a slave, you're a man, you're a woman, you were circumcised. Okay, well, you can't uncircumcise yourself. If you're not circumcised, you don't need to get circumcised. Paul says we are all the same. And this came into play especially as the gospel message started to get proclaimed and received by people like you and I, the Gentiles. Those that aren't, oh, I don't know if any of you are Jewish, you know, I tend to think I'm a little bit Jewish because I, I love the Jewish customs. I'm really attracted attracted to it, and, uh, and and but you know, God's called me to be uh, me first of all. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, he's called he's called me. And he says, "Stay where you're at. You don't need to be anything more. You don't need anything more. It's unnecessary. Circumcision with he says because we've already been circumcised with the circumcision." made without hands. The object of the circumcision of Christ is putting off the body of the flesh. And this body of the flesh refers to the sinful, fallen 
human nature. You see, we need to put away, put aside, put, put a, put a, get apart from this flesh. And the, the bad thing is, the good thing is, first of all, is you've been forgiven. We'll talk on that in just a little bit. The bad thing is, you got to live with your flesh. That's what you have. This is who you are. People ask me all the time, you know, when am I going to stop fighting this flesh? When is these, when are these desires going to stop? When am I finally going to be over with all this? And I tell them, I says, you know what? The moment that I'm standing over your coffin, I will say this man or this woman no longer has to battle with the flesh. That flesh is what Paul had referred to in Romans chapter 7, where he says, you know, there are things that I don't want to do that I just end up doing. There's things that I want to do, but I don't do. And, you know, and I've got this struggle within me. Now, beloved, this is not a get out of jail free card. You know, don't go reusing Romans 7. Well, Paul said, there's things that I do, I don't want to do, that's me. And the things I should do, I don't do. You know, this is not an excuse to keep continuing on in your sin. It's just that we're sinful people. Our flesh craves desires, wants to get fed by the world. And this is why Paul is saying you need to circumcise yourself. You need to cut yourself away from the what the world has to feed you. The world brings a platter of all kinds of great things that look are pleasing to the eye, that are able to make you wise, that, that, that might be able to fill your stomach. Not only does it look good, it's going to feel good, and it's also going to give me some sort of understanding. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And there, there is a, a whole bunch out, a whole bunch of voices and words and books and podcasts and, well, you name it. The world has so much to offer the flesh. You look at every commercial, it's all fleshly. It's all what I need, what I want, what I must have. And none of it, none of it is designed to save you, to give you salvation, to cause you to grow in Christ. And Paul says, you put away that body of the flesh. You put that away. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And so we are, we are to put that old stuff away. He, he tells the people in Corinth, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is not in your outlines, but the Philippians, he tells them, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We don't put any confidence in the flesh because my flesh wants the world. And anyone that is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And anybody is a friend of God, it just goes by, John. First John says, we need to be enemies of the world. Yes, I, I go up against everything that is not of God. And uh, you should see the looks that we get and the, the things that we hear uh, from our very close friends and family. That's just not what I want. I don't want that. Why not? Do you think you're better than everybody else? <coughs> and I always turn it around and says, well, those words came out of your mouth because I, I know I'm not better. What do you think? You, you think you're perfect? No, I, I'm a sinner. I, please forgive me. If I've ever given you the impression that I'm perfect, I'm not. And I go and, and I go and proclaim, look, I am, I am a totally depraved human being. I deserve to be condemned to all hell by God himself, but only by the grace of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. I'm saved. Now, I'm not anybody special. I'm not. Don't ever make that mistake because I didn't say that. You did. And then you throw it on me. And I'm not going to defend that. I'm just going to tell you that I've never said that. So the question rises as to Christians, why do they still sin? Well, as I said a little while ago, because of what Paul says in chapter 7. And this new disposition which we, we desire to do good and obey God. And, and there's this unredeemed humanness within us. The flesh is still subject to temptation because we're here on this broken planet. And once we leave this place, we are broken from that temptation, broken from the flesh. Everything. John, John says in 1 John 2, uh, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So Paul's new self wished to obey God. He wanted to obey God, and he, he wanted to, to follow what, what God has says, but there's this new law, or this other law, which is 
desiring me to move forward. And so this new creation is pure and holy. And as believers, we await the redemption of our bodies and we receive a new resurrected body that does not have any holes on the flesh. Circumcision was made to identify you, not to, not to justify you. Circumcision of the flesh has always been the, 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 the the reason as to why God called us to be circumcised. In the Old Testament, he always talked about having your your heart circumcised, your lips circumcised in a sense of cleansing, of cleansing, of cleansing. Always pointed towards cleansing. Baptism. Though you get wet, though you get, you, you're dumped into the water. Little Miha asked me this morning what that tank was outside. She asked if it was a, a swimming pool. And I says, no, Miha, it's for baptism. What's baptism? Oh boy, this is a challenge. How am I going to explain this to a child? <laughs> And I, I thought I explained it pretty good. She goes, oh, you okay, that's that's good. She goes, I don't want to get baptized because I don't want to, because I'll drown. <laughs> you know, we take you, put you under the water, and then we bring you back. Oh, I don't want to get baptized. Why not? Because then I'll drown under the water. No, me, I don't. I won't let you drown. Okay, I still don't want to do it. Well, I don't. I wouldn't want to do it to you right now until you understand a little bit more. But she says, I love Jesus. I do. I says, well, good. Keep loving Jesus. Keep loving Him, and and, and keep looking toward Him and seeing Him, and so innocent. And it doesn't save you, but it's it's a command. And, and some of you have come to me and says, you know what, I, I've been baptized, but you know, I, I just didn't understand it. I didn't know. I didn't uh, go through the whole understand the whole process. And uh, if that's if that's what's required of me to 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 be able to be uh, committed to Christ, if that's what's required of me to follow in obedience, then I want to do that. Not that it, it's, it requires of you to be committed to Christ. You're committed to Christ. And because you're committed to Christ, you want to express that devotion, that inward devotion, and to express it in an outward statement. And that outward statement is the baptism. Always the very first thing. Jesus said to them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded them. Number one, baptize. Number two, teach them. After you make a disciple, baptize them. Then teach them. Many people come to me and says, you know, I, I don't understand all the baptisms. I want to wait till I understand this. Beloved, you're not going to understand it all. I mean, you won't. You got to get baptized first. Baptism, and then you are then you learn. It's not the other way around. Many people try to cir- circumvent that part. They don't, they either feel embarrassed. They don't want uh, people to know or whatever the case is. You know, put that pride aside. Put that ego aside. I just got to get baptized. It was simple for me. They said, Jesus said to get baptized. All right, I want to do everything he said. If he said get baptized, let's do it. You know, and it was funny because uh, when we first got baptized, and this is a little bit of, of a history of my wife and I, that some of you know, and it's probably, but it's not common knowledge, that her and I, we were living together before we became Christians. We became Christians, and then they baptized us, and the whole church was mumbling, saying, they're not even married. <gasps> they they're, 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 they're getting baptized. They're not even married. The pastor got up and says, look, I want to tell you guys something. Sick people come to this church. Him and her. Sick people come to this church. That's not healthy people. The sick people, they're here to get healthy. And it wasn't too long after that that we, you know, really, well, we, there were some things that were holding us back. But, you know, we, we did get, we're married. We're married now. Okay. <laughs> Just so you know. Look, I got, I got the evidence right here. <laughs> okay. Um, anyways, and it's, it's, it wasn't, to make us better or anything. It was just an obedience. And if I was, if I wanted to be obedient, I said, okay, whatever it takes, Lord, do it. And then from that point forward, we start to realize, wow, man, our life is just a mess. Says, yeah, now you can see what you need to do. And step by step for the last, well, I don't know how many years, 35 years? I'm waiting for a nod back there. 35, 36 years? Oh, I don't know. No, no, we, we're, we're married, 41 years, 41 years we're married in February, Groundhog's Day, February the 2nd, 41 years, praise God, amen? I have no clue as to how she put up with me all those times, I really don't, you know, God, I tell you, God must have been really ticked off at you, you know, really just mad at you, you know, we've been together all those years, but anyways, we've been, we, we've been baptized and married and, you know, moving on and growing together and, because like I said, we were together for a long, for a long time, and, and those years prior to us becoming, getting married, my wife and I, we says, you know, we got to count those. <laughs> they got to count for something. <laughs> and we do count them. But baptism didn't save me. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't make you anything but soaked in the tub 
in obedience for Christ. And it's a symbol, but it's a very powerful symbol. And it's needed. And, and, and for Paul, you know, and here's the thing. See, a child was circumcised at the eighth day. And so there are a lot of people in Christian circles, especially in Reformed theology, that are trying to be as, as close to the, the law and, and the, the, the Word of God as possible. Well, they say, well, you know, since that covenant was taken care of, and now it is with baptism that we come into this, okay? So, so if, if that's the case, then we're not, we're not going to circumcise our kids anymore, but we're going to baptize them. And that's the logic that they followed. And now in order to be saved, our children need to be baptized. And, and I can't see, and you got to understand that Paul is not going to get rid of one tradition or one ritual and replace it for another. And but but somehow churches have said, you know, that the children have to get baptized at the on the eighth day. If not, then uh, they're not going to get saved. They're going to go to hell because they're little sinners. Yeah, which is true. They are. I mean, there's, but they have no recognition of their sin. They have no recollection of what they're doing. They're just we're just innately sinners. We are. And to say that Jesus Christ cried and he, and he demanded as a child, just like everybody else, well, he, he grew in wisdom and stature. But you know what? I, I'm sure that there was, what the Bible says, there was no sin in him, even from the day of conception. So, so to get baptized, to get baptized to be saved, Paul is saying, no, no, you, you know, I'm not trading one ritual for another. You're already, you're, you're already saved. As a matter of fact, to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, this is in your outline. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We were baptized into one body. For one spirit, we were all baptized into the body of Christ. You were not baptized by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ. This is a concept that people have run off with and are looking for this baptism of the Holy Spirit to baptize them as the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, what He does is He baptizes you. He folds you in. You are included with the body of the saints. And the picture of baptism is, is like I try to explain to the child is, you know, you take the person and you dunk them in the water. The old is gone and the new has come. You're resurrected. And you're still a sinner. You still have things going on in your life that are hurting. There are things that are in your life that are still causing you pain. There are things in your life because of the flesh. And the more you submit to the world, the more pain it's going to cause you. But the more you submit to the word, the more you'll realize that God is working something through you. Number two. Not only are there no additions to my salvation, there's no additions for your forgiveness. There are no additions to your forgiveness. People say, yeah, I know I've been forgiven. Yeah, I know I've been forgiven, but I know that Christ forgave me on the cross. Yeah. However, I need to make amends. I need to, well, of course you need to make amends. I mean, if you can make amends, you should. You know, and, but for, for some people, they still don't feel forgiven. It's like if God is holding this forgiveness over your head, okay, I'm going to forgive you, but however, you need to do this, 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 and this. Now, now you don't want to hold on to your past. That past is gone. The, the flesh is what's calling you back to your, to the world and to eat and, and you crave the world and you got to get rid of the flesh and let the spirit take over. You got to walk by the spirit, not by the flesh, because to walk by the flesh, we talked about this last week in Galatians chapter five, verse 16. So I say, walk by the walk by the spirit and not by the flesh for the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature. And he goes on to explain all the desires of the flesh. But the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And so Paul says, don't walk by the flesh. Don't walk by this world. Walk by the Spirit. And when you do so, you understand that there is nothing more you have to do to be forgiven. Paul says in verses 13 and 14, And you who were the dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, forgiving, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that He set aside, nailing it, to the cross. Let's go piece by piece by this. 
Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses. Now, here's the one thing that a lot of people just can't seem to wrap their mind around. And it's kind of hard because of how we've been taught and trained and evangelists have taught us how to respond to the gospel message. You see, the gospel message is a free gift. And the gift of the free gift of God is eternal life. And that free gift is given to us by God himself. For it is by grace that you're saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Now, that's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Verse 1, which is in your outline, and you were dead in your trespasses. See, he's telling the people in Coloss, and you were dead in your trespasses. And it's like, please forgive this graphic and ugly illustration that I'm about to use, you know, because, but it's, it's almost similar that as I'm sitting there, standing there, before the, the coffin of my mom, and I, and I say, you know what, I want to give you one last gift. I want you to open this gift. And if I were to just place it before her body, here, mom, this is for you. you open it. You know, and I'll wait there, and I'll wait there, and I'll wait there. A dead corpse cannot respond to anything that you give it. It's dead. You were dead. Dead, dead, dead. And there's nothing that unbelievers can do to receive anything from God. Unbelievers exist in the sphere and the realm of spiritual death. Just like a corpse is dead and can't receive anything, it won't do anything, it can't ask for, uh, if a person just dies. Some of you probably saw the graphic hit in, in, the, in the football game between the Bills and the Bengals. Uh, if you follow, at least you might have heard of it. But I was watching the game and the guy hits this uh, this defender, he hits this running back and, and just hits him. And just like a regular hit, he stay, stands up and he falls backwards. And everybody goes, he's dead. And he was. And the, the crew came out. He could not ask for CPR. He could not ask for the electric uh, defibrillators. He could not ask for anything because he was dead. It took something supernatural, well, not supernatural, it took something miraculously in a sense where somebody had to come and recognize that this person was dead to be able to bring him back to life. You, when you were spiritually dead, God supernaturally saw that you were dead and could not do anything of yourselves, and he brought you back to life. You, me, beloved, were living in this spiritual realm. To be spiritually dead means to be devoid of any sense, unable to respond to spiritual stimuli, just as to be physically dead means to be unable to respond to any physical stimuli. It is to be looked at in sin's grasp that one is unable to respond to God. You cannot respond to God. As much as you desire for your loved ones to respond, they can't. That's why we pray. That's why we ask God to intercede. That's why we tell them, you know, to ask God and we beg God and we pray for God to intercede in the lives of our loved ones. That's why we give them the message because you see this faith that God is talking about? Faith comes from hearing and faith comes from hearing the word of God. And if I just want to be uh, very careful and cautious as to what I say to the unbelievers. Well, you know, you should stop drinking. And well, you know, you should stop cussing. And you know, you, you ought to come to church. And you know, why don't you come? And if, if I'm just going to coddle the sinner, he's going he's to continue on in his sin. That's not the word of God. You are spiritually dead. And the word of God is going to bring you alive. And here's the word of God, that it is by grace that you're saved through faith. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us need to hear the gospel message. Not my message, but the message of God. And in order to be able for anyone to respond, God's faith comes from hearing and hearing of the word of God. That's why Paul says, so, so who do we send? So how are they going to hear if nobody goes? How's anybody going to go if nobody is sent? And, and as Paul is, is unraveling this, this logical thought of Scripture being the base for all salvation because it's God's Word that saves us, then, then all of a sudden it comes to realize, you know what, I've got to be the one. I've got to be the one to be able to present the gospel message to those that I dearly love, especially. You know, when I was at my mom's funeral, I, 
I, I stood there in front of everybody, and, and I, I didn't say this, but I, I should have said this because I, I knew that that was probably going to be the last time I was going to get all my family, my brothers and sisters and all their kids and my uncles and aunts, everybody together. That was going to be the last time that I was going to get everybody together to hear the gospel message in that type of setting. Now, maybe, you know, for another funeral, some of them will come. Or, you know, but that was, that was the last time, I believe, that I had the opportunity to share the gospel message. And the gospel message is all I share. The night before, we talked about my mom, but the next day it was the gospel message. Here it is, beloved. You need to hear this because I love you. You need to hear this because faith comes from hearing. Now, it's not my responsibility to cause them and make them to be saved. My responsibility is to give the message. Now, I leave it up to the Holy Spirit. I've been getting calls from my nephews and my niece. I've been getting phone calls. People are, are, are responding, and I challenge them. What have you done with it? What are you going to do? Paul describes the Colossians in their prior unsaved state as being dead, not only in their sins, but also in their flesh. Let me very quickly share with you that, uh, well, first of all, this verse, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which God, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He, once again, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's He, God, made us alive in Christ. I didn't make myself alive. I didn't make a decision to be alive. I didn't ask to be made alive. I didn't uh, say a prayer to be alive. I didn't, you know, come to uh, fall on my knees and, and say, you know, please forgive me. No, God made me alive. When He made me alive, I responded and said, Lord, have mercy on me. And he says, I did. And he made us alive together with him. And so on the back of your outline, very quickly, let me just go over the characteristics of God's forgiveness. And, and you know, and just, just so you know, that this John MacArthur did an excellent job of putting five or six different, you know, and I only got a, a few of them from him because, uh, you know, I just want you to get the, the gist of the characteristics of God's forgiveness. Number one, God forgives. God's forgiveness is gracious. It's gracious. As I said earlier, uh, and in Romans as well, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Number two, God's forgiveness is complete. God doesn't forgive you a little bit now and a little bit later and a little bit, little bit down the road. It's complete. It's done. When He died on the cross, as Jesus Christ the man 2,000 years ago, let me ask you, how many sins did you commit at that point? Well, the answer is none because, well, you weren't alive yet. But he said, I'm going to, I'm going to die for Sal's sin. I'm going to die for James' sin. I'm going to die for Daniel's sin. I'm going to die for every one of you. He says, I'm going to die for your sin. And it's complete. You don't have to keep coming back and asking, okay, God, can you forgive me of this sin? Can you? Now, are we going to sin? Yes. You repent and you move forward. And don't go back. It should sicken you. Sin should not be living in your mortal body. Get rid of it. And you move forward. But God's forgiveness is complete. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. It is complete. Number three, God is eager to forgive. He wants to forgive. Ezekiel tells us that, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his evil way? God doesn't desire to kill wicked people. That's not his desire. His desire is that they turn. And because he desires them and he understands that we cannot turn on our own, he has to wake us up. I love you. Wake up. In Psalms 86.5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon your name. He's willing to forgive. Number four, God's forgiveness is definite. It's certain. It is absolute. It is absolute. You see, when Paul went to the people 
uh, the Gentiles. He told the Gentiles that the reason that he's there preaching to them is to open their eyes of their heart, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. I lost the verse. That's okay. There's a few more things that uh, MacArthur listed out. God's forgiveness is unequaled and God's forgiveness is motivating. But pretty much, God's forgiveness is certain, it's final, it's complete, it's done. You don't have to keep doing things to try to get forgiven. You come to church because you are forgiven. You don't try to go be a missionary because you want God to bless you even more so. And maybe he'll forgive that one thing that, that you, you are still holding on to. God's already given you the forgiveness. But you go to be a missionary because that's the calling that you have. Because you are forgiven. You don't try to give your money because he is. you're trying to get forgiveness or make amends somehow. No, you do it because God's forgiven you. You don't surrender your life to anything because you want more forgiveness. You surrender your life because he has forgiven you. See, the things that we do are not to try to get God's favor. We already have God's favor. It's just in obedience to what the call is in our life. The last thing I want to share with you is that there's no additions to spiritual battles. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really just open this up a little bit more next week. But let me just give you this, because he says in verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In the word triumphant, triumphing, it, it, it's the picture of a king coming back home to Rome and, and he has his the, the, the enemy, he's captured the lieutenants, the generals, and he has them all behind him. And I have one. And these guys are in chains, they're in hooks, they're beat up and depleted, and they're getting ready to be destroyed. But before the king destroys them, he wants to show them off to the whole nation. I beat them up. This is my prize. And now I'm going to have my way with them. And they are dead. But what Paul is saying, this is exactly what he did to the spiritual realm. That's exactly what he did to the rulers and the authorities that are on the outskirts that are trying to manipulate and conquer you, but they cannot conquer you because God has already put them to shame. How shameful it is, beloved, for a believer, a Christian, to believe that he's being attacked by Satan. It is embarrassing. It is downright just wrong. If God's already conquered that individual, that, that being, if he's already done so, there is no reason why a believer should say, oh, the, the devil just got a hold of me. No, it was your flesh. The devil don't need your help. You're doing a pretty good job all by yourself. The devil ain't focused on you. You see, Satan can't be at all places at all times. And I'm not even arrogant enough and prideful enough to say that the devil attacks me. I mean, I'm sure he attacks some spiritual leaders, and but but you know he's he can go anywhere, but he's not everywhere at the same time. He, he, Satan is not going to waste his time on a puny little guy like myself. I know that because my flesh does all all the work and the damage that it needs to do all by itself. And to believe that you are fighting. These spiritual forces with these exorcists and prayers and incantations and you're, you're trying to defeat what's already been defeated. It just sucks you in to this realm of the spiritual that you not, need not be a part of. And what's even worse are for those that continue to worship and believe and follow that spiritual realm, those rulers and authorities. Not realizing they're defeated. What in the world are you doing following them? They're done. It's over with. It, you know, why are you following? He has disarmed these rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He's disarmed Satan. He's disarmed him. And it's done. And it is over with. The one area that we need to work on is the circumcision of our flesh. You see, because if you look at what Romans says, Paul says this in Romans, I'm going to finish with this. <clears throat> in verses 37 to 39, he says, No! 
He's talking about, well, what's going to happen? How are we going to get all these things done? He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody say amen. Nothing. Paul goes out and tries to name every single thing that you can think of. Nothing, nothing is going to be able to separate you from the love of God. And there's no fear. There's, there needs to be no fear to these rules and authorities and powers and principalities that are out in this evil age trying to manipulate you. All you have to do is say no. No, if you sense that's what's happening. Say no, you're, you're conquered. I don't know what you're trying to do in my life. See, I'm having a hard time just keeping my flesh in check. <laughs> I don't need to be focused on you. No. However, beloved, there are people that are out there. There are demon fighters, demon slayers. There's exorcists. There's people that are praying and anointing and, and doing all kinds of stuff in the spiritual realm. There are some churches, the very first word that comes out of the pastor's mouth, when they start the church service, the very first thing that a lot of them proclaim is Satan. Get out of here. I cast you out. I bind thee in the name of Jesus. Satan. They focus on Satan. And there's no... It's laughable to me, if you know the scriptures. It is, it is silly. And to me, to, to even to focus on that, because he's conquered. He's done. And, you know, I, I know that the teachings of many people have probably captivated and has held you to that thinking and belief, but beloved, there's nothing, nothing, nothing that's going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Let me ask you to stand. You see, Paul is asking the Colossians to be a faithful church, and we're being challenged to be a faithful church as well. In order to be a faithful church, we can't be swayed by philosophies or we can't be swayed by traditions. We can't be swayed by uh, everything else that seems to be right or seems to look right. We have to evaluate it according to the Word of God. We have to look at what God says and then do what He says. And Father, we, we understand that Your Word is true. We understand that it's been preserved and, and how it's been preserved and how, how accurate it is to the original manuscripts, even after the various translations and the different ways that it's been presented to us. It's not been manipulated. It's not been given to us by any other source, but by you, Holy Spirit. And so we trust in your word. And Father, we know that your word is true and, and it will not come back void. And so we base our life and our existence and our church and all that we do according to your word. And we ask you, Father, to open the eyes of our hearts so we can see this. Help us to stop being deluded by all these philosophies and traditions and various things in this world. Thank you, Father, for your truth. And I pray, Father, that as we leave this place, we come to realize that we're victorious in you. We are completely forgiven, not partially forgiven. We've been forgiven, and because of that, we're going to stand tall and recognize that forgiveness and stop letting the enemy or our flesh to tell us any different. We're not being influenced. We're not going to be influenced. We're not going to allow ourselves to be influenced by anything this world has to offer. So, Father, we thank you for this morning and just for your love and your patience with us as, you, as we dismiss this uh, from this place. I pray that you never dismiss us from your presence. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Amen. All right. May the Lord be with you. Now, I understand.